You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled Go. Hello, my radio friends. Welcome to the program today. In the English language, there are many idioms using the word go, and here are a few of the many. Go with the flow. Go through the roof. Have a go, you mug. Go for broke. Go fly a kite. Easy come, easy go, and go easy. In the Bible, the word go is mentioned 1,542 times. That contrasts with the word stay, which is only mentioned 62 times. Go is an action word. Stay implies inaction. In view of the fact that go is used often in the Bible, one could infer that the Bible is a book of action. Often, go is used at the beginning of a statement and is often used as part of a command. And that's mainly what I want to talk to you about today. Recorded in Matthew 8, Mark 5 and Luke 8 is the account of Jesus healing two demon-possessed men. If you read each of these accounts, you will notice slight differences because Matthew and Luke mention there being two men, while Mark mentions only one. Critics of the Bible seize on this point to discredit the Bible, saying that it contradicts itself. However, we must realise that although God inspired different authors to write, he did not dictate the actual words. Each author wrote using his own words and own style sometimes focusing on one particular aspect, while someone else writing about the same thing may have focused on another aspect. That's like two witnesses in court, testifying about what they saw in a motor car accident. They may have seen exactly the same thing, but each will bring out something that the other may fail to mention. There were probably two demon-possessed men, but one was more outstanding than the other. Possibly he was more likely the leader, while the other one remained in the background. I do not accept the criticism that the Bible is a fallible book, contradicting itself. I do accept that there are differences in similar accounts, because people who God inspired to write were given the freedom to faithfully present information the best way they knew how. All day, Jesus had been teaching a large crowd of people near the shores of the lake, sometimes called the Sea, of Galilee. At the latter part of the day, he went by boat with his disciples to cross the lake to go to the other side. And I'll read the pertinent verse from Mark chapter 4 and verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side. It was during this voyage that a terrific storm blew up, 
and the disciples were terrified that they would drown. Jesus was asleep in the stern of the boat, that is, until the disciples woke him up with the question, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Of course Jesus did care. So he ordered the wind and the waves to be still, and instantly the storm died away. I'd just like you to know that Jesus does care about people. He cares about you. Many have questioned God's motives when they suffer or see suffering in others. They wonder why God does not right every wrong and heal all our diseases and maladies as they want him to. But if the outcome they have hoped for does not materialise, that does not mean that God doesn't care. God wants us all to be holy, happy and healthy. But he has his reasons for doing or not doing what he does. His ways and his thoughts are not our ways and our thoughts. God cares. The proof of that is that Jesus, the second personality of the Godhead, who gave up his position and glory in heaven to come down to here to this miserable, sin-infected planet, and he surrendered his holy life in order to save us wayward human beings. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 is a reminder that God cares. Here, talking about Jesus, we read, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. Further to that, in Hebrews 7.25, we are reminded, Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Well now, back to Mark chapter 5. After stilling the storm, Jesus and the disciples landed on the opposite shore of the lake, in a region known as Gadara. Here, amongst the tombs of the dead, lived two men who were demon-possessed. Now, most people regarded them as just mad, but their madness was of the devil. These men were no longer in control of themselves. Evil spirits occupied their minds and controlled them. And I want to insert a word of caution here. If you've been dabbling in what is known as the dark side, perhaps attending seances, perhaps being involved with wrappings, playing with Ouija boards and the like, you put yourself in a very dangerous position and run the risk that a demon will take control of you. Demon possession is not just something from past times. It happens in our day and age. To be controlled by the devil will not result in a pleasant outcome. In the end, it will cost you your life. Stay away from such things is my counsel. 
the two men of Gadara had been driven from normal society. As Jesus and the disciples came ashore, one of the demon-possessed men ran up to him. And in Mark chapter 5, verses 6 to 8, we read, When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? Swear to God that you won't torture me. So how did this man know who Jesus was? Well, if you realise that demons were once angels serving in the courts of God, but who followed Lucifer, later renamed Satan, with his lies, you would know they were banished from heaven and came down to this earth. You would understand that fallen angels are the demons. They cannot be saved. They know that they will be eternally destroyed. So they, under directions of their leader Satan, are doing everything while they can to destroy what is good and right and proper. These evil spirits would once have known Jesus in heaven. And that's why the Apostle James wrote in James 2.9, You believe in one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. The demons not only knew who Jesus was, but they witnessed him healing the sick, giving hope to the hopeless, and undoing the evil work Satan and his angels had been inflicting on the world. As the man knelt in front of Jesus, Jesus asked, What is your name? Mark chapter 5, 9b and 10 gives the answer. My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. No wonder this man seemed mad. He was occupied with many demons who spoke through him. They asked not to be tortured. These demons recognized Jesus as the Lord and they recognized that he had power over them. They then began to bargain with Jesus and asked to be allowed to occupy the minds of a whole herd of pigs. Jesus was gracious even to the demons who were opposed to him. In Matthew 8 verse 32 we read this, And he, that's Jesus, said unto them, Go. And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine. And behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently down a steep place into the sea and perished in the waters. Here we have an example of what happens when a demon, an evil spirit, takes over someone's mind. Just like what happened with the pigs, people go crazy. They are out of their minds, probably because something else 
is in their minds. And this shows how important it is to keep our minds focused on good things and stay away from that which is evil. Like with COVID-19, we also need to isolate ourselves from the dark side where evil spirits lurk and are ready to trick us and take over our lives. But did you notice that when Jesus said, Go, they all went. They knew who Jesus was and they did not dare disobey him. At this point, the man kneeling in front of Jesus came back to being in his right mind. The swine herds, that's the people who looked after the pigs, were aghast when suddenly the pigs that they were tending took off and plunged into the sea. Pigs don't usually act like that, do they? The swine herds rushed back into the nearby town and told the pig owners what had happened. The townspeople came out to find only Jesus, his disciples, and the once demon-possessed man down by the shore of the lake. The man was now dressed and normal. The townspeople were very concerned about the loss of their livestock, but probably relieved that the madmen of Gadara were no longer a threat to their safety. However, knowing that it was because of Jesus' power that men were healed and their pigs were gone, they begged Jesus to leave that area. As Jesus and the disciples were getting into the boat, the once madman made a request, and I'll read about this in Mark 5, verses 18 and 19. It says, As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has mercy on you. I'm certain the man was extremely grateful to have been healed and wanted to be with the one who healed him. But instead, he was told to go home and tell about the one who changed his life. Now, this now healed madman probably knew very little about the scriptures. He probably knew little about doctrine and he may not have even been able to read. But he could witness to others that he had an encounter with the Lord who healed him. And we tell the rest of the story in Mark 5 verse 20, which says, So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, that's the region nearby where there were ten cities, how much Jesus had done for him. And the people were amazed. This probably unlearned man was a faithful witness, a missionary. Later when Jesus came back into the area, there were several thousand people who believed in him, that he was the Son of God. So twice in this small section of Scripture, Jesus gave the command to go. 
First he commanded the demons to go from the man, and they went. Then he commanded the man to go and tell what wonderful things were done for him, and he went. But you know there's a further command that Jesus gave to his followers, both past and present. It's found in Matthew 28 verse 19, and this is what it says. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And this is known as the Great Commission. The man in today's story only had an experience to share, but he willingly shared it. As a Christian, I realise that I too must be involved in sharing my experience with the Lord. But according to what Jesus said, I must also share with others the teachings of Christ and the teachings of the Bible. Now some of you might be thinking, yeah, I, I know about Jesus, that's all I need. Well, I'm sorry, that is not enough. If Christians are commissioned to teach people to obey everything Christ has commanded us to teach, then there is a requirement to both know and obey. And you know, it seems that in these times, obey is a dirty word. So many people seem to forget that part of being a Christian requires a personal commitment and a willingness to make an effort. Christianity is not like sitting in a boat drifting with the tide. It involves taking an oar and rowing to be actively involved in our own and others' salvation. And the Apostle Paul highlighted this in Philippians 2.12 when addressing the believers in Philippi to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It implies action. It implies personal effort. It implies a healthy appreciation for what God has done for us. It involves making choices and it involves obedience. It involves going. In Matthew 7.21 is a very challenging verse. It speaks about those who believe they are doing God's will and have done all kinds of good works. Jesus confronts these people and he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Here it's plainly delineated that it is not enough to only accept Christ. The critical thing is that we do the will of God. And what is the will of God? The answer is that we obey him. The obedience that is required is found in the Ten Commandments. Yes, all ten of them. Nothing is to be left out including the fourth commandment about keeping the seventh day of the week holy. 
That was the day God said we should remember in his honour because he created and redeemed us. To worship on another day, not of God's choosing nor of his command, is a dishonour to God, a slap in his face. It's an indication of rebellion and it's also a statement that you are not genuine in your profession of faith because you prefer to do something other than what he's commanded. Now those of you listening to my voice today, you need to take heed of Jesus' warning if you're worshipping on another day than what God specified. Read Matthew 7.21 and apply it to yourself. You might be surprised that verse again, Matthew 7.21. It is concerning that so many people fool themselves that they're keeping God's whole law when they clearly are not. And it's no excuse to say that God changed the day of worship from Saturday to Sunday. God did not authorise such a change. The Roman Catholic Church freely and openly admits that they did it. Whether or not it's convenient for you to keep the seventh day of the week holy, the commandment still stands. Obedience is the test of how much we love the Lord and appreciate what he's done for us. Jesus clearly said that the indicator of our love for him is in obeying him. You can read that in John fourteen fifteen. If you love me, keep my commandments. And don't get the idea that that statement applies just to Jesus, because Jesus and then the Father are one, one in mind and one in purpose. You can't be a follower of Christ without being a follower of the Father, or vice versa. First John five three plainly speaks about how we show our love for God. It says, For this is the love for God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. On one occasion, a Jewish lawyer approached Jesus with a question about which of all the commandments is the greatest. Jesus did not choose any particular one, but explained that all were of equal importance. When asked, the lawyer summarised the commandments by saying we are to love the Lord with everything we are and have and to love our fellow man as ourselves. Jesus accepted his answer. It was correct. The lawyer then, trying to dodge the question, asked, Who is our neighbour? In response, Jesus related the story about the Good Samaritan. Then, as it's recorded in Luke 10.37, Jesus commanded, Go and do likewise. A Christian needs to be obedient to God, merciful to others, and willing to share the gospel good news of salvation. I'll repeat that. A Christian needs to be obedient to God, merciful to others and willing to share the gospel good news of salvation. So my question to you today is, how is your going going?
Where his feet. 